Would you join with me in prayer? Dear Lord, I thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity to lift up your name in prayer, to lift up your name in song, to lift up your name through your word. I thank you, Lord, that it's not just a Sunday morning thing, but it's in every moment of every day thing that we get to be your ambassadors of your kingdom and your name because we are your family. Thank you, Lord. Fill us with your spirit now, Lord, and open our hearts to you even as we open up your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Much like Chad, I'm not Graham. Um, and uh, I, was, I was telling someone, uh, I, I even have next week's sermon written. I could have brought it. I didn't bring it. So I got to think that maybe either I'm truly inept, always a possibility, and or God had an idea of what he wanted to do today anyway. And I was sitting there thinking, Lord, if you could give me a scripture to talk on, I'm sure I could wing it. I would really appreciate it. I mean, even last week at, at our, our brown bag at after church last week, we, I'm like, gave Philip literally a scripture to talk about. You said, hey, Isaiah 53. If you could do that, that'd be... Huh. Why don't I talk about Philip and Isaiah 53? Why don't I, why don't I just... Why don't I just do that? But to get to Isaiah 53, I got to go to Acts chapter 8. We're told that Saul, rotten human being that he was, was going around murderously persecuting the church, right? Scattering the church. Why? They, they were happy. They were relatively safe in their locked rooms in Jerusalem, right? And Saul, because God is not sovereign... Saul scattered them from Jerusalem throughout Judea into Samaria, by the way, ultimately to the ends of the earth. Because God is not sovereign, right? Do you remember last week when we talked about the Great Commission? What did Jesus say he wanted us to be? Witnesses where? To Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, right? And everybody said, cool. I have a very comfortable pew that I always sit in here in Jerusalem behind a locked door where it's safe. And God allowed Saul to show them it's not safe anywhere. Or with me, it's safe everywhere. But the idea that you would dictate what constitutes safe and comfortable with a locked door is foolishness. I know what I'm doing. Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Scoot. Because if you remember, there are two, a grand whopping two commands to the Great Commission, right? What's the first command? Go. Scoot. And they went, cool. Go. Thomas is winning because he's not in the room with you. Go! He's farther away than you are, so he's winning. Go! Go do what? Well, first, just go. By that, you mean, I mean, go! Lock the door, guys. I'm afraid to go. Fine. Saul. Yes, I'm murderous. Mwah. 
well, we need to go. <laughs> yes, thank you, Saul, for changing all of the plans. How comfortable would you be saying, thank you, Saul, for changing all the plans? Or would you say, clearly, this is a horrible thing because it changes all of the plans? I know what my gut reaction would be. I don't know. You'd be tempted to say something has gone sprawling because now we're forced to go. I'm sorry, what was the second one? Go and make disciples. By the way, you make disciples by baptizing them and teaching them. That's that's part of the making. But the second command is just go make disciples. And yes, if you do that, I want you to be doing that by teaching them what you know. I want you to be baptizing them so that they say, who I was, I leave at the bottom and I break the surface again, something new and different and washed clean and alive again in an entirely new way. But go make disciples. Go teach them to step where you step, to know what you know, right? So we're all stuck here in Jerusalem talking to each other about what we already know to the other disciples. We're discipling next to each other. He says, I want you to scoot, to go, and then make disciples, which is great because they're scattered all over the place, and we're told specifically in Acts chapter 8 that after they're all spread out, Philip is, is moving around, oh, and, and, and you have, and you have uh, there, some of them are spread out to Samaria even. But in chapter 8, verse uh, 26, the angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, to the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasure of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Okay, first off, I mean, we've discussed this before, but this is a reminder. This is an important guy. This is not a Jewish man. And yet, he bought a scroll. Those are not cheap. He bought Isaiah. I don't know if he bought it for himself. I don't know if he bought it for Candace and was reading it on the road. I don't know. But this is a man who says, this is important, and it's important enough, I'm not waiting to Ethiopia to read it. So he's got this scroll in front of him, the prophet Isaiah, and the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And then Philip ran up to the chariot, and by the way, he might sit there and go, well, yes, outreach would be really easy if that's the way it worked. If God went, him, you go talk to him, he's going to be prepared for you. It doesn't work like that, does it? Sometimes it totally does. An amazing number of times it has done that. It's amazing how many times I've talked to somebody and they're like utterly primed at that moment to talk to somebody. I've talked to you guys before, but it's worth saying again, the most clear example of that to me was I was walking home late uh, in, in, in the rain uh, from, the, from the library at school and I was walking back to my dorm and I walked past a guy sitting there on, on, uh, on, the, uh, on the bench next to the, to the library and I just had this strong sense I was supposed to talk to him. I'm like, it's, it's drizzly. I don't really want to. Okay, I turned around. I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry. This is going to sound weird, but I really felt like God needed me to ask, are you, are you okay? 
The guy just started bawling. I was just like, I'm, I'm, I didn't mean to hurt you. I don't know. What, what did I do? The guy said, I'm sitting here going, life is pointless. I don't get it. I'm considering suicide. I don't even think there is a God. God, if you even exist, somehow show me that you exist. And the moment I said that, you turned around and said, I'm sorry, God. God, I got this weird feeling that God's supposed to, telling me to ask you if you're okay. We had a really good conversation. Now, here's the thing. You might be tempted to go, well, he's a pastor. I wasn't. I was a college student. It's not a pastor thing. This is a listen to God thing. I, I, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just talking statistics for a second, okay? Does God actually want Christians to share the gospel? Yeah. Are there people who need to share the, have the gospel shared with them? Yeah. Are some of them near you at various points in your life? Okay, statistically then, I guarantee that you and I have ignored times where God has said, I'd like you to go talk to that guy. If he wants all of us to be sharing, I guarantee there have been times you didn't when God was saying, her, go share with her, go talk with her. Are you even listening to me? And we go, no, I guarantee. And I don't say that to make you feel guilty. I'm trying to remind us, statistically, this is happening more often than you realize. And God is always going ahead of you. And his spirit always walks with you. As he did here with Philip. Go to that chariot. Stand ne- stay near it. Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading, because back then you would read it out loud, right? So he's reading it out loud. And, he's, and, and Philip's like, <laughs> I know what you're reading. Do you, uh, do you understand what you just read? And when we find out what part he was reading, this gets really cool. But he's like, do you understand what you just read? The guy said, how how can I? Unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And the eunuch was reading this passage. And this is where Philip is like, I want to share the gospel. And God goes, go stand next to that guy in in the caddy convertible. Clearly wealthy guy that you can see. And he walks up and he hears the guy reading this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before his shears is silent, so he didn't open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Do you understand what you just read there? I want to share the gospel with somebody, and I hear you reading this. Do you understand? And the Philip asks this, gives the guy the opportunity to ask Such a perfect question. Tell me, please, what does this mean? Right? Is that what he asked? Far more important. Philip goes, do you understand what that means? Do you understand it? The guy says, tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about? He's talking about somebody important. Who? Can you just tell me who? Is he talking about himself? Is he talking about somebody else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Told him the gospel. God gave him a scripture. Just laid it out in front of him. So last week, we got together after the service. We had a brown bag at Connections Lunch. Lonnie did an awesome job of opening up some discussion, asking people, well, when you think about the gospel, about sharing about Jesus. What are the things that tend to make you trip 
and not do that? What are the things that make you not make that a priority? What are the things that are impediments to that? And people came up with some great things. Actually, welcome to Sunday school class. You're, you're, we've got the time. I want to ask you, what are some things that, that, if you remember from last week, there, or if you don't, if you weren't here last week, what are some things that traditionally trip people up, make people feel uncomfortable, or just not even think about it? What, what, what would you say? I don't, I don't know how to answer. I don't know what to tell them. I don't know what the cookie cutter approach is. I don't know what scriptures I'm supposed to use. What if they have objections? How do I answer those objections? And one of the things we talked about last week is you will never argue anybody into the kingdom of God. It doesn't work like that. Now, Paul has an awesome ministry of making a good logical case for scripture, a good logical case for a scriptural understanding of things. Is it good to do that? Yes, I'm a debate coach. I love the idea of, yes, present this intelligently. Be prepared. Doesn't Peter even say, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the hope that you have? Absolutely. Absolutely. But you will never argue someone into the kingdom because being a Christian is not a logical conclusion. It is, but it's not just that. Being a Christian is a relationship. I will never argue you into thinking that Wendy's a great person. It doesn't work like that. The best that you can think is, well, Kevin seems to think so. Then you meet Wendy and you go, oh, she actually is. Cool. He was right. I want to make a logical case. I want to present details of that. Sure. But what I'd love to do more than anything else is to say, here, let me introduce you to my wife. By the way, I've, I've met my wife. I'm vaguely familiar with her. I have never, I can tell you with confidence, I have never once in our marriage said, if anybody ever asks me if I'm married, I better come up with some ways to answer that. <laughs> yes, and i got to explain how marriage came about. What's the, what's the biblical rationale for marriage? Never had to do that. Do you like your wife? What are the, okay, what are the three things I like? Oh, I've forgotten the third one. Uh, there's the... Never had to do that. You ever felt like when you're sharing the gospel, you're like, somebody says, so what, are you like a Christian? You go, oh, wait. i got to remember. What did Kevin... What's the Greek for... Oh, oh! Oh, what are the three things I'm always supposed to make sure that I include? Why do I make that so unnatural when sharing about my favorite pizza or about my wife or about the Cubs? It comes naturally. So, so I come back to this and I say, I'm never going to argue this person in the kingdom, but I can tell them who Christ is. I'm never going to have a refutation for every one of their arguments. And even if I do, let's be honest. You ever argue with somebody that you suddenly realize halfway through, you don't care about this, you're just angry? Well, this is a logical I've kicked every leg out from under your stool, and you're still absolutely certain of your conclusion, because this was never about you trying to understand anything. This is you going, I'm having a bad day. Right? Hey, we ran into that the other day. 
I can have the best refutation of all time. It may make no difference at all. But if I share the relationship, who is this prophet talking about? Who is he talking about? Some guy who grew up like, before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. And when I say that, you picture King Cyrus, right? How many of you just ran to Cyrus? Said, Cyrus, <laughs> clearly. How many of you went, oh, I, I picture Jesus and how that describes Jesus? Raise your hands. This is not a rhetorical question. How many of you said, I didn't do anything. I just assumed you're reading a Bible verse and therefore I should be passive. <laughs> oh, strangely, all the passive people don't raise your hands. <laughs> when we read Isaiah 53, we hear Jesus. We know the story. Isaiah had never heard the name Jesus like this in this context. Traditionally, people are like, oh, I think he's talking about Cyrus. Whatever. He's talking about Christ. The entire chapter is about Christ. We're just not used to that prior to Jesus. After Jesus, we're not used to reading it any other way. So when we read that, we go, yeah, it's not like he glowed. It's not like he was filthy rich. It's not like he, everybody who looked at him went, wow, he's amazing. I mean, I love the movies that show him that way, that everybody looks at him and goes, oh, there's something special. And Isaiah said, actually, no, it wasn't like that. I know you want to invest a Hollywood version of what holiness looks like. And he's like, no, he's what holiness actually looks like. What? like an internal separation from this place while you still have dirt under your fingernails. He was despised. He was rejected by men. A man of sorrows, a man familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised. We esteemed him not. I'm sorry, when Jesus went to Nazareth, didn't we just talk about that the other day? When Jesus went to Nazareth and read from Scripture in his own synagogue by people that went to high school with him. They all went, this is so amazing, yes? Or did they say, oh, isn't that the illegitimate kid? Isn't that the guy that I played football with? He's the, he's the guy that made the bench outside of my house. He can't be anything special. He doesn't look holy to me. Not like that guy. Look, that guy's dressed in gold thread and he has dangles and bangles and things and, and, and he looks impressive. Therefore, he must be. Magnificence is a matter of aesthetics, yes? He was despised. We esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities. He took up our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, afflicted. We go, well, obviously he's done something wrong. Obviously something's gone bad. Obviously bad stuff happened in him. Why? Well, look at, look at all the stuff that's on him. You go, it's, it's our stuff. It's our stuff. And we go, yeah, clearly God must have something against him. Couldn't be me. It has to be him. 
But the very next word, the very next verse. But. This is what we thought. But. But. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace is upon him. By his wounds, we are healed. Anything that he's going through is because of us. And if you want to think, oh yeah, we're horrible, you go, ish, but that's probably not the right application. Rather than sitting there going, well, I'm just a rotten human being, and leave it at that, maybe you sit there and go, I'm a rotten, wait, and he took it all? He did? He did. And he took it all. Yes. All the stuff that I sat there and I went, oh, clearly he's messed up, was my stuff that he was carrying. All the things that I despised about him is because I was looking at a mirror and I didn't realize it. And he took it all onto himself, off of me. Who is this prophet talking about? Who did this? Is it the prophet? And you go, no. Well, then who is this? We all like sheep. We've gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He took all of that because we desperately needed him to. Because we stink at this. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. And yet he didn't open his mouth. He led like a lamb to the slaughter. But as a sheep before his shearers is silent, he didn't open his mouth. He, he could have called down legions of angels, and he didn't. Because he's so stalwart? No, because this is why he came. This is why he came, is to do this. And it's not even something he was looking forward to. Gethsemane suggests he's like, if there's any way I don't have to be nailed to a piece of wood, that would be great. And yet, this is why I came, so your will, not what my will be done. It was by oppression and by judgment that he was taken away by justice, just judginess. And who can speak of his descendants? He's cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, and yet with the rich in his death. Somehow he was, he, he died alongside all these foul people, and yet somehow the rich said, bury him in a rich tomb. It was written hundreds of years before Jesus. And yet we read this and we say, it's Jesus all over the place. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was still the Lord's will. Yahweh decided to crush him and cause him to suffer. Yahweh did. Because Yahweh's evil? Or because the Lord says, I know what I'm doing, and I know what needs to happen. This is the plan. Not a deviation. This is the plan. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering for the rest of us, he will yet see his offspring and prolong his days. He'll die, and somehow still there will be people that call themselves his children. But they weren't born yet. No. But he's dead. Yes. Do you understand why the Ethiopian eunuch is like, I don't think I get this. I don't think I understand what's going on. Is this still the same guy? Because we've had a lot of he's in here, and I'm not sure where the pronouns are going. Is this still the same guy? Because this is a dead guy who somehow isn't dead, but really did die, but isn't dead anymore, and somehow he, he's not going to have any descendants, but he will have offspring. He'll have no children, but he'll have 
children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand even after he's dead. After the suffering of his soul, after he's dead, because I just said he died, after he dies, he'll see the light of life and be satisfied. So he dies and now he's not dead. Yeah, that's right. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will get... Wait a second, who's the pronoun now? Is it even the prophet giving us a story or is this now God himself talking? I will give him the portion among the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and then saw the light of life. He was numbered with the transgressors for he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. He was numbered among the transgressors because he walked among the transgressors and he said, all that stuff on you, I take. I walk among the transgressors. I'm numbered with the transgressors because that's where I came to save you. And everything on you, I take on me. And it's not that God says, oh, I did Afflict him. Oh, I never liked him. I allowed him to be crushed because I'm upset with him. No, I allowed him to be crushed because I love you so much that I gave my one and only son. When you read Isaiah 53, is that what you hear? Do you hear the gospel? Then when we say, I don't know how I would talk. I don't know what I would include. I don't know what arguments I would make. But you know the story. Because you know the person. You know who the prophet is talking about, don't you? You know who. And if you go, but I don't know if I'll be able to answer any questions. The single most important question in all of this, who's he talking about? You can answer that, can't you? I just don't know. Is this a good time? It's seldom a bad time to say that you love the Lord. It's seldom a bad time to tell people that you think Jesus is really pretty cool. It's seldom a bad time. There are times where maybe it's not the best time to sit down and give a four-point gospel message. It is very, very seldom a bad time to at least let God overflow. Let the Spirit overflow out of your heart. And I guarantee Statistically, there are far more times that you haven't noticed where if you were to pray and say, Lord, is this the time where God might say, yes, just go ask him. Just go over there. What do I need to do? You need to go. Just go stand over there but I don't know what I'm going to do there. I do. Just go stand over there. All right. You go, you stand and you go, <laughs> he's reading from the gospel of Isaiah. And Philip takes that and shares the good news, teaches him. Do you remember the last bit of the story? What does the Ethiopian eunuch ask? Well, is there any reason why I can't be baptized? I'm a eunuch from another culture. I'm not a Jew. Half an hour ago, I had no idea what you were talking about. Is there any reason why I can't be baptized? And Philip says, 
none whatsoever. Because I went and I made a disciple by teaching. And let me baptize you so that you go down one thing and you come up something fresh and new. And you take that back to Ethiopia and start the longest continuous church in our history. The church of Ethiopia has been going on continuously longer than any church. And it starts with this Ethiopian eunuch and Philip being forced to go and make disciples. Let me encourage you, just listen and go. Amen. Dear Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity to have your word right in front of us. Right in front of us. If, if we never know what to say, we know we've got Isaiah 53. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all the different ways that you go before us and with us and after us. It's not us. It's us just walking with you. We give this to you in Jesus' name. Be glorified as we share how much we love you.